Every once in a while, as we go through a book of the Bible, we'll take a little detour, and um, that's what we're going to do this morning, is take a little detour. We'll, Lord willing, return to our study through 1 John next Sunday, um, or the following, kind of depending on how the Lord leads. Um, but this morning, I wanted to go to the book of Matthew and talk about our perspective. And um, one of the things in life that kind of guides us in, in every way um, really plays a big role in the decisions that we make, plays a huge role in our relationships and how we converse with people, how we deal with people is, is how we perceive things. And um, we, all have, we all have different perceptions of things, right, or different perspectives. We see things from different angles and, and uh, different things impact our perspective, but it's important to have the right perspective. It's important to have a humble perspective. It's important to have an open perspective, especially when you're dealing with people, because um, you might be looking at the same thing. Uh, you might be, you know, you can kind of picture a husband and a wife at the zoo um, looking at the same animal, one looking at it from over here and one looking at it from over here and describing it. And you would think that they were describing two different animals, but they're describing the same animal. And, and you know how that can often end up in, in conflict. And uh, so your, pers- your perspective in life matters and, and how you view things. And so in, in Matthew 16, Jesus is going to deal with this. And um, he deals with it. It's interesting. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning and just try to break it down for you. But it's interesting that Jesus starts off with the Pharisees and Sadducees, then he moves to his disciples, and then at the very end of the chapter, he moves to Peter, um, which was kind of one of his closest disciples. And uh, this, this, this concept of perspective in life is not something that just the lost world struggles with. It's something that we all struggle with, something that we all deal with on a regular basis of having the right view or looking at things um, with the right heart and, uh, and understanding those things and then making decisions based upon that. In this time of the writing of this passage of Scripture, um, no one had the Holy Spirit living within them, so they all had a real struggle with this because they didn't have the leadership that, the, that we have today. We have the Spirit of God living within us. He guides us and directs us and gives us um, a perspective of life that ought to be the right perspective, ought to be a spiritual perspective um, you may ask, what is a perspective? And I'll give you a little bit of a definition of it. But if you've ever, ever been in a situation, uh, a debate, an argument, a conversation, where it seemed like the other person saw something completely different than what you saw, uh, or maybe um, they were actually, maybe you got into a conversation before where it seemed like the other person was talking about a completely different subject, and, or you thought maybe they were on a different planet entirely. And uh, you perhaps had these conversations before, and I know that we all have, but if you've had those conversations, then what you understand is, is that people have different perspectives. They see things differently. And there's a right perspective or there's a right filter by which we see things, and then there's also a wrong filter. We can also understand this by going to an athletic event. Um, uh, lots of things happen at an athletic event. At the end of the game, you both you have two sets of fans. You both just watched the same athletic event. And at the end of the game, you have one group of fans that are entirely demoralized and defeated, right? You have another group of fans that are elated, and you've both just watched the same game. 
And, and what's happened is, is the pr- perspective of the fans dictated how they responded to it. Now, you watch a call, you go to a baseball game and you're sitting behind the umpire, and uh, that ball comes in there and half of the fans go, that was a strike, right? And the other half of the fans can't believe that the umpire called it a strike. You're watching the same game, seeing the same thing happen, but your perspective of it is different. And there's a lot of different variables, filters, that affect how we view the things that are going on around us, how we view life. A perspective, for a definition's sake, is simply a filter through which we, through which you, interpret the world and everything in it. It's how you see things. It's how I see things. Webster defines it this way, the appearance to the eye of an object in respect to relative distance and position, how things appear to you or how you see or perceive things. And the Greek word describes it as the exercise of the mind to bring forth comprehension, to consider, to think about, and then to come up with a conclusion. Some different perspectives that we have in our world today. Some people see things as black and white. Other people see things as gray. Some people see things in a physical way. Others spiritual. Some look at the world uh, in regards to the minor details. Others look at the big picture. They see kind of the end result. Some look at it through the flesh. Some through faith. Some look at the world through law. Some grace. Some are hopeful. Some are hopeless. And all of these are just different perspectives on how we see the world. Matthew chapter number 16, if you'll follow along with me, I'm going to read the first five or six verses, and then I'm going to skip through and and find some other verses, some phrases that help us understand the the meaning of this text. When When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. We stop there and we see again this idea of perspective, the interpretation of what they're seeing. And in other words, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and Sadducees, you're able to look at things in the sky and you're able to forecast what the weather is going to be like. You're able to properly interpret the, um, the weather, the nature and things of that nature. But he goes on to say, But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, what Jesus is saying is is that their struggle was not being able to interpret the seasons and the weather and things like that, but their struggle was to be able being able to interpret spiritual things, uh, things that that really mattered. And uh, the events that were going on around them, the activities, the, the spiritual warfare should have been clear to them of, of the spiritual temperature of, their, of, of the world, yet they did not see it or understand it. The Bible says in verse number 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, which the sign of Jonah was just three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. We know that that's a, a picture of Christ, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And... Um, and then resurrected the third day. That's the only, in, in other words, what Jesus Christ says is that this generation, this dispensation that we're getting ready to enter into, and Matthew 16 is a very church-related chapter, 
It talks about building the church on Peter, or on not on Peter, but on the message that Peter received, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and, and, and therefore um, this is the foundation of the church. So there's not going to be any sign, and we know that uh, this is the reason why we are where we are when it comes to cessationist or versus continuationist. Go down with me to verse number 9. Jesus says, do you not yet perceive? In other words, do you not have the right perspective? Do you not yet understand the spiritual things? Verse number 11, it says, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak to you about bread? Down in verse number 23, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then in verse 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world or understands the whole world? And we'll look at that in detail in a few moments, but forfeits his own soul. And what would a man give in return for his soul? So what I want to do this morning is break down this chapter um, with two main thoughts. The first is some dangerous filters by which we view life. Some dangerous filters by which we view circumstances and situations. Some dangerous filters by which we view people. And then I want to look at some divine um, attributes of a, of a proper perspective of life. And a proper perspective of people. And a proper perspective of events. And remember this, our, our perspective, no matter, no matter how you cut it, no matter if you like it or don't like it, your perspective determines a lot about your life. I have seen relationships that were, you look at a relationship and you see a husband and a wife possibly that you just, you could never meet a husband and a wife that were more in harmony and more at peace and, and just, just, just united together going down the same path. And in, and in a moment, it would be almost like they had never liked each other ever, that they hated each other for, from eternity past. But what simply happened was is that something happened in their thinking that caused them to have a different perspective of that person. They viewed that person differently and it totally impacted their relationship with that person. And they really ultimately gave into the whispering of the devil and not the whispering of the Holy Spirit. So there are some things that are dangerous filters by which we view things, and there are some things that are what, I'd call, what I'm going to call this morning divine filters by which we ought to judge things, by which we ought to view things. Before we get there, though, my first thought this morning, if you're taking notes, is how do we determine or, or what determines our perspective on things? If you think about it, if we're looking at something physical, you can think about the fact that if you look at it from a certain angle, you might see it differently. If you're looking at it from an elevated angle, you might not see it the same way as somebody who's looking at it directly. So, so the angle of, of our vision of the, that object can affect how we view it, the distance we are away from it, our, our experience with it as well, or, or our understanding of it. 
It's like if I was to go outside right now and try to describe one of the plants on our, on our, on our lot here, and we were to go out there with a, a horticulturalist, right, and have them describe it, you might think we're talking about two completely different things. And the reason is, is because their experience, their understanding of that plant is completely far beyond my understanding of that plant. And so our, our experience also determines, in many ways, our perspective. Okay? Uh, we also have presuppositions, things that we presume before we begin to develop an opinion or make a decision. We have loyalties that impact our perspective of things. If somebody does something against one of our family members, our perspective of that person based upon that that's our family member might be harsher than it would be if somebody hurt somebody that we didn't really know or care about that much. So our loyalties impact our perspective on what, how we see things. And it's important, let me say this to kind of get, get the ball rolling. Think about all of these things in relation to our perspective of God and, and that how if we have loyalties towards God and if we have an understanding of God and, 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 and we have experienced God personally, how that's going to change and adjust our perspective on the other things going on around us. And, and, and it's interesting because the more we know God and the more we experience God, the more we have a different perspective on things, right? If you've seen, if you've ever seen God do a miracle, and, and, and if you're saved this morning, you've seen God do a miracle. But the reality is, is the more you know that miracle, the more you feel that miracle, the more intimate you are with that miracle, all of a sudden in life, nothing becomes impossible, right? All of a sudden, as a Christian, we become the ultimate optimist because there's nothing that's impossible for God, right? His disciples asked him that question when he was talking about being saved and the, the nature of salvation. His disciples says, Lord, who can be saved? But their perspective was wrong, wasn't it? With man, it is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So our understanding, our connection to God is going to impact how we perceive things around us, how we look at people. And we think about even just to understand and to grasp for a moment the sovereignty of God. And then if we believe, I wrestle with this every single day, so if you wrestle with it too, don't feel alone, okay? But to understand and, and to grasp the fact that God is 100% sovereign, right? What does that do to our perspective of life? What does that do to our perspective of problems? What does that do to our perspective of people? All of a sudden, it, 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 it becomes different because we realize that, that God is in control of everything. And then we go on beyond that to say not just God is in control of everything, but God is, actually has a plan for everything, right? And that everything is working out for, Romans 8, 28, everything is working out for, and you see how understanding God and knowing God and experiencing God in daily life is going to impact your perspective of everything and everyone. 
Some other things that impact our perspective. Information impacts our perspective. Understanding impacts our perspective. And, and passion impacts our perspective. And whether we're passionate about what we're thinking about or not, whether we're in love with it, whether we're um, just pursuing it with all of our heart, soul, and mind, mind and strength, it's going to impact how we perceive things. If we're totally committed to Christ today, if you're 100% committed to Christ, your perception of people is going to be different. The way you view lost people when you walk down the road, when you walk through the, the checkout counter at the grocery store, or you walk through the restaurant uh, and you pay that woman, that man, money for the food that you're purchasing, the way that you see people around you completely changes if, you're, if, you're, if your passion and your pursuit is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You'll, you'll never see a person as a problem. You'll never say that's a problem people. It's not a problem people. It's a lost people who need Jesus. And if our focus is on Christ, if our understanding is what Christ is capable of doing, if our passion is Christ being exalted, then Problem people become opportunity people. We don't see things as closed doors. We see things as open doors. We don't see people as problems. We see them as opportunities. The, the people that, I, I've often said this, the people that we think are least likely to get saved are most likely to get saved. Because they are the First Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 people. That no flesh will glory in the Lord's presence, but those who glory will glory in the Lord. The ones that we think can't get saved are the Pauls who the Lord's going to strike down and they're going to be raised up to new life. It's important that we have the right perspective that we know what's impacting our perspective. The more we know God, the more we experience God, the more we read about God, the more we uh, enjoy him in his word, the more we look at life differently. Let me read to you out of Matthew 6, through 24. The Bible says the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, if your eye is corrupt, then your perspective will be corrupt. The eye is the portal to the soul. If our soul, if our, if our inner man isn't what it ought to be, then everything that comes through our eyes, that filter is going to be bad. We're going to see everything from man's perspective, not from God's perspective. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man now, number two, dangerous perspectives. There are three dangerous perspectives that, three dangerous filters that Jesus talks about here in this passage of Scripture. And I want to just share them with you. And, and I want you, I just asked the Lord, you know, I, I think it was Lloyd who talked about, Lord, uh, thank the Lord for ears to hear and eyes to see. I asked the Lord to give us that this morning. Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17 you don't have to turn there, but he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. In other words, when Jesus, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable of, uh, of sower and seeds, right? And so, so there's a group of people within this um, audience, if you will, who are like, oh man, I can be a better farmer now, right? Now I know not to sow seed on the hard ground or where there are storms. I need to deal with those storms first. And so they're, they're totally looking at it from this perspective of, hey, this is great farming stuff. There's a whole, and the Lord said that he spoke in parables for that very reason, that seeing they would not see and hearing they would not hear. But there's a whole nother group of people when, when the Lord spoke about farming who didn't see farming at all. You know what they saw? They saw instructions for the Christian life. They saw spiritual lessons. And what we have to do as Christians, what we have to do is develop a perspective of the world that's not a, that's not a physical perspective of the world, but is a spiritual, to look at what God is doing behind the scenes. And so let me give you these three. Number one, these are dangerous perspectives. Looking past the supernatural to the natural. Or looking past, and I've given a few different ways of describing it, looking past the visible, or looking past the, vis- the invisible to the visible. This is basing our perspective or our filter for how we see things on what we can see physically. We, we can see our checkbook being empty, can't we? We can see that person yelling at us, can't we? We can see relationship problems, can't we? We can see kids whining and complaining about things. We can see that, right? We can see problems with people around in our community. We can see those things, but the problem is is that we as Christians don't walk by... Is Is that my theology? The Lord says that. We don't look at things based upon what we see with these eyes... But we look, we look and we see things as to what God is doing, what God is working on, what God is capable of. We look at what is invisible, not what is visible. The Lord says here, the disciples, and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the first four verses, what did they want? What did they want to see? They wanted to see something visible. Show me a sign, Lord. Show me something tangible, Lord. Like, like doubting Thomas, if I can put my hands, my fingers into his scars and into his side, then I'll believe. Listen, folks, the Christian life is not about seeing and believing. It's about believing and seeing. It's like we trust in God. We trust in his abilities, his capabilities, his power, his strength, his sovereignty, his might. We trust in what we cannot see. This is what makes us so distinct from the world because they base every decision in life on what they can see and they look at Christians and they say, what do they see that we don't see? At least that's that's how it ought to be, right? What were the Pharisees like? Lord, show us something that we can see and if you show us something that we can see, then we'll believe and we know that's not true. The Lord fed 5,000 people, right? What did they want the next day? They wanted more faith, right? No, they wanted more. They wanted more food. 
The Christian life is not about seeing with our eyes. It's about seeing with our heart. It's about seeing through the Spirit of God that lives within us. If we can look at the world through the eyes of the Lord, we will never doubt or struggle. I love, I love John 17, the high priestly prayer. What's interesting is, is the Lord knows that his disciples are, just, are, are getting ready to forsake him. They're going to leave him. They're not going to be with him any longer. But he says this. He says, I don't, I don't only pray for you, but I pray for all of those who are going to believe through, through your witness. It's like the Lord saw something that they didn't see. Have you ever looked? We as parents, we've got to find that, that, that balance, right? We, we have to see things in our kids that may not be there today, right? But by faith, we believe that there's a work that's taking place and they're going to arrive at where the Lord wants them to be. We trust that, right? We believe that. Can we look at other people with that same type of faith? Can we see other people with what, not what they're capable of, right? But can we look at people with what God is capable of? When we do that, do you know something? There's no relationship that's not reconcilable. Let me say that again. There's no relationship that's not reconcilable. None. Only if you look at it through the eyes of God and not through our own eyes. There's no problem that's not solvable. There's no situation that's too big. But we can't look for the visible. We must become comfortable and confident in the invisible. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, in verse 6, it is impossible to please God. We must believe that he is. Stop there for a moment. We must believe by faith that he is. That he is what? He is God. We must believe that. Him whom we serve is God of the universe. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans 8, 24 and 25, for if in this hope we have been saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we cannot see, we wait for it with patience. Folks, the very essence of our faith is hoping in something we cannot see. And if we cannot, and if we can see it, it is not faith at all. 2 Corinthians 4.18, and we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Number one, the first danger is looking past the supernatural just to see the natural. Basing our decisions in life on the things that we see with our eyes, not the things that God sees through his spirit. Number two, watch what happens here. When the disciples, in verse number five, reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring much bread, and Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. 
Number two, looking past our spiritual needs to focus on our physical needs. Here Jesus is, he's completely not talking about bread at all. But you know what his disciples are thinking about? It's been a while since we've eaten, guys. The Lord is teaching them a deep spiritual truth, a very important spiritual truth about the doctrinal error of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but his disciples can't get past their their bellies. They cannot see that their need for spiritual maturity is far bigger than their need for fleshly nourishment. Can I submit to you that it's possible that the Lord hadn't fed them at that moment for the sake of them learning something spiritual? The reality of it is, is that according to Hebrews chapter number two, the way that we grow spiritually is through and in what? It's in suffering. It's in difficulty. So if our focus is in life, if our perspective of life is I must have everything that I need, right? Then we lose sight of the fact that what we need spiritually is far more valuable than what we will ever need physically, right? The Lord might not give us something that we need physically so that he can make us someone that we're supposed to be spiritually. Job is a wonderful example of that. Somebody whom the Lord stripped of everything, but he did it to make Job into the man that God wanted Job to be. If we look at life through the eyes that say what I need physically is paramount. It is the most important thing. We will miss the fact that God has needs for us spiritually, that he is often working out through lack physically. The disciples couldn't see that. What did they see? They saw their stomach growling. Here, the Son of God is teaching them one of the most important lessons that they'll probably ever learn. And what do they think about? Their stomach. And you know something? We can't really point our finger at the apostles because I can imagine, if you're like me, so I'll put myself in, we'll all be together. If you're like me, Sunday mornings before we leave church, we think about what? We think about lunch. You're probably already thinking about lunch right now. They're all like, yeah, that's right. I'm already thinking about lunch. Listen, God has something bigger for us. God has something better. God has something more significant and more important that is is beyond what we have or don't have physically. It is what he has for us spiritually. Verse Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And those are called according to his purpose. He says to them, I'm not talking about bread. He explains it to them. You guys know that text. Go with me to the the latter part of this uh, chapter. Number three. Jesus begins to teach his disciples of the fact that they're going, that he's going to die. And and, uh, he's going to die. He's going to go 
Um, they're going to take him. They're going to sacrifice him. He's going to no longer be with his disciples. And verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. What, here's what Peter is saying. It's very natural. Peter is very, very frustrated because his very, very good friend, his, his, uh, his rabbi, his teacher, is now saying that I'm not going to be with you any longer. Peter has a very natural response to that, a very human response, probably the same response that any of us would have. But listen to me. Jesus does not take Peter's response lightly. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. He says this. You're focused on the things of this world, and you're not focused on the things of God. Number three, looking past God's plan to our desires. When we can't see God's plan, we can't see God's purpose past our own desire for something. Acts 2.23, then Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The sacrifice of Christ was preordained by God. It was something that was, was uh, um, decreed before the foundation of the world, and it was for the salvation of our souls. Had Jesus Christ not died on that cross, Peter would be in the eternal hell today. Right? But you know something? Do you know what Peter wanted? Peter wanted what Peter wanted now. Right? Peter wanted what Peter wanted now. And God said, there's more. There is more. Let me not give you what you want now so that I can give you what you need later. If we were to talk to Peter today... Peter would say, I should have known there was more. And there's more. There's more for us. Looking past God's plan to human desires. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, verse 17, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see, number one, the dangerous perspectives. We only want what we can see, we only want what we need, and we only want what we want. And that's our perspective. Listen, that's how you view people. That's how I view people. That's how I view problems. That's how I view circumstances in life. I view them through three filters. What I see what I need, and what I want. It's all wrong, isn't it? It's all backwards. It's all messed up. The Lord gives us the answer. Let's go back to our text. Three things, and I'm going to be quick with these. Watch what he says in verse 13. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but whom do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? Watch this. It doesn't stop here. Jesus doesn't say, great perspective. You know what Peter says? What the Lord says to Peter? And Jesus answered him, saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. In other words, Peter, this is not you. What you have just said is not your wisdom. What you have just said is not your intellect. What you have just said is not about you. What you have just said is not about what you want, what you need, or what you see. What you have just said was a supernatural statement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. But flesh and blood hath not taught this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus says to his disciples in this moment. He says the first necessity for us to have the right perspective in life is to get our perspective from, from God. We've got to get our perspective from God. His voice is what guides us. You say, how do we get our perspective from God? Well, you know the answer to that. The elders here have done a phenomenal job of making sure that we all know the perspective that we get from God comes from his, from his word. There's a shirt out there that says, if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible, and if you want to hear his voice audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> I think that's true. The Lord speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? If we want to know the voice of God, if we want to have a perspective of life and people and problems that is the right one, guess, guess what? We've got to get in the book. The more we see God in the book, the more we know God in the book, the more we understand God in the book, guess what is, guess what is constantly changing the more we're in here? Our perspective. It's constant. You will find that you will start to see things differently because you see this and you see things in light of this. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. Never forget that that's the beginning of it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's go on. Number two, the second necessity for having the right perspective, number one, God's voice. Number two, self-denial. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? If we're going to have the right perspective of life, we have to deny self. It all makes sense because everything about our negative perspective of life is about self. So it makes sense that if we're going to have the right perspective of life, we have to learn to say no to self. Man, listen, we can grow, this church, you as an individual can grow so much spiritually if you learn to say no to yourself. But the more we cling to what we want, what we need, and what we see, the less we grow spiritually. If we're going to grow, it's going to be by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, which is a, a picture of, of dying. 
and then following Christ. Job 1.21 says, And he said, naked I, came, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, one of the most powerful verses is in the Bible, but here's how it happens. Job had the right perspective. I can almost guarantee you that if I was sitting in Job's shoes or standing in Job's shoes, at that moment, I would not respond the way that he did. And honestly, I would know very few Americans who would. Because why? Because we struggle with the first three things that I talked about. If we're going to grow spiritually, our perspective is going to have to be based on God's voice and the denial of ourself. And then number three, you go down to the end of the, of the chapter, verse 27, for the Son of Man is coming, is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each one according to, the, to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The third necessity to having the right perspective on life is Christ's exaltation. Jesus says this in John, if I be lifted up, right? And we know that that means that he's going to be lifted up on the cross, but, but I believe that there's also a spiritual lesson in that. Where Christ is lifted up, where Christ is exalted, guess who is very active? The Spirit of God is very active when Christ is exalted. Matter of fact, the more we exalt Christ in our life, the more active we will see the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. So we exalt Christ. We exalt his sacrifice. We exalt his work for us. We exalt all of those things. We're constantly lifting him up and not lifting up self. And this will help us to grow in our perspective of people. Listen, next time you look at somebody, look at them through the eyes of Christ. How does he see them? What does he think about them? So to have the right perspective, we start with the voice of God through his word, then we self-denial, deny self, stop living for self, stop loving self, and then we love Christ. We lift up and exalt Christ. I want you to read the last part of this text in closing. This is so, I believe this is probably the most powerful part of the text. Here's what Jesus says. For whoever would save his life, what does he mean by that? He means the first three principles that we talked about. He means that whoever will live for themselves They'll pursue everything that they want. They will, they will pursue what they can see. They will pursue what they need. And they will pursue what they want. Their life is about, he says, whoever will live life to save it will do what? Will lose it. But whoever will lose their life for my sake in the Gospels, will find it. Whoever will lose their life will find it. And then he doesn't stop there. He says this. And I want you to think about this question in closing. What would it profit you? 
what would it benefit me if I were to be able to get, if I were to be able to, to obtain everything that I could see, everything that I need, and everything that I want? That's the question that Matthew asked, Jesus asked. What would it profit a man if he could get Everything he ever wanted. He could have the nicest house he wanted, the nicest cars he wanted. He could have all the money that he wanted. What would it profit us if we could get everything that we could see, everything that we ever needed, and everything that we ever wanted? If we could get that, what would it profit us if we lost our... There you go. What's the benefit to having all of these things. It's like the man in Luke 16 who, who had the rich man who had everything. And the Bible says that he died and Lazarus died, right? And the rich man woke up and the Bible says that he had his comforts in this life and now he is being tormented. Do you know what he did? He sought to save his life and he lost his life. He says this, what are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? What does the devil have to give you? This is the question that Jesus asked. What does the devil have to give you so that you can, he can have your soul? Is there some dollar amount? You know the old saying, everybody has a price or everything has a price? Is there a dollar amount that if the devil gave you that, he could have your soul? Is there a vehicle? Is there a house? Is there a person that if you had that, you would be willing to sell your soul? That's the question that Jesus asked in the closing of this text. What are we willing to give in exchange for our souls? Folks, my challenge to you this morning is this. My prayer for all of us is that we learn daily to look beyond the natural realm. To look beyond the possessions of this world, the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we see. All of these things, there's one word that I will use to describe all of these things. You know what it is? It starts with a T. Temporary. All of these things are temporary. At what point are we as Christians going to realize that we need to stop living for that which is temporary and start living for that which is eternal? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would just... Help us to meditate this morning on these thoughts. Lord, help us to walk away from here with just a thoughtfulness to, to how great you are and how amazing you are and, and how that we can, if we can look at life through your eyes, we can look at people through your eyes and look at problems through your eyes that they'll seem so small. We need to see you as big and important and significant. We pray your help. We pray that your word would not return void, but would accomplish that for which it was sent out. And we give you the praise and the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen.